remain standing and open your Bible to John chapter 1. We wish to see Jesus. We'll hear that phrase later in our study of John, but that's where this gospel takes us uh, in a similar way and yet also in a distinct way from the other three gospels showing us Jesus and we need to see him. We need to see him. Passage this morning is uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. Continuing our study through this uh, series on the Gospel of John, I've just titled this message, Being Disciples of Jesus. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, this is your word. It is precious to us. And it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut to the division of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Lord, we need your word to discern our thoughts and, and intentions, knowing that our hearts are deceitful above all things, the scripture tells us. And so even what we think we understand so often, we don't understand rightly. And we need your word to be to us, to each of us personally, what you've said that it is generally, that it is powerful, 
that it is true and that it is life. And so we ask this morning with all that we bring to this service today that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory, knowing it's for our good always. And Lord, would you just move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today to speak in a powerful, life-giving way by your word in Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, I'll remind you, I've, I've, I've shared before um, this analogy that, that the four gospels are written by four different men from four different perspectives, but, but more than necessarily their perspective, they're written to four different audiences for four slightly different purposes. Okay, and so you could compare it to um, if you have a car accident and four different people write a report about the car accident. So one is a police officer, another is a paramedic, one is a news reporter, and then maybe the fourth is uh, a biographer who comes along and he writes, he does a more lengthy investigation and, uh, and follows a story about the driver that maybe nobody knew was the background to the accident or something like that. Well, they would write about the, the very same accident. They could write a true report, every one of them, and yet they're going to be slightly different at least because they're writing to a different audience for a different purpose. They'll include many of the same details, but some of those reports would include some details and leave out others. Uh, and another one of those reports are going to do the very opposite of, of that. Exclude the ones that were included in the other, etc. Well, such is the case um, here with the, with the Gospels, that because you have uh, Matthew writing to more of a Jewish audience, wanting to... Um, convince them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He emphasizes certain things in his gospel that aren't emphasized other places. Luke writes to a more Gentile audience. It's addressed, in fact, uh, at the, in the, the sort of prologue to Theophilus, a Greek name. And he, he will uh, include or, or highlight um, women and children more, Gentiles more, those people who are outcast or live on the margins a little bit more. Uh, he, he just has a little, little different purpose. And John comes along. John would be like the guy in the, in the a, a former analogy that I used. John would be like that investigative uh, biographer that comes along, and he just writes quite a different story that is much more focused on the person of Jesus. And so his approach, his approach is just different than you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but they're all inspired by God. They're all true, and together uh, they are all even more informative and more powerful. Well, I, I start there because, again, what you'll find as you go through the Gospels, you'll see uh, some details included in one, excluded in the other, and some stories that even seem to be told a little bit differently that raise your eyebrow and go, hmm, how do I make sense of that? This account of the first calling of, or the calling of the first disciples is one of those. Because uh, 
John gives the account differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not differently in a way that um, either of those or any of those is untrue. And so let me, let me sort of set that up by saying, you know, if we took an online quiz about Jesus and one of the questions was, how many disciples did Jesus have? Well, most of us would answer 12, and that would probably be the correct answer even on the answer key. And uh, depending on how you define it, that would be the obvious answer to the question. But in reality, Jesus had far more than 12 disciples. Far more than 12 disciples. Luke even mentions specifically an occasion where he set out 72 disciples. John mentions later in chapter 6, after a particularly hard saying of Jesus, that many of his disciples left him. He said something that was just too hard for them to swallow. And many of his disciples left him. Because disciple, uh, the word disciple just means learner, really. And in that respect, Jesus had thousands of disciples at a certain point in his ministry. Those who were, were following him, listening to him, learning from him. Uh, who even went and when, when he fed the 5,000, you know, had followed him some distance to hear him teach and were learning from him. The 12 of those disciples were also called to be apostles, right? The 12 that we think of were also called to be apostles that he would send with a special calling, particularly a special calling after his death and resurrection and ascension where they would be uh, his representatives, if you will. They would continue the ministry that he began on the earth. And so those 12 were called not only to be his disciples, to follow him, to learn from him, like every Christian is called to be. They were subsequently called to be his apostles. Those are are two distinct callings, even if in any of those cases, they happened at the same time. Uh, There's a distinction there. Now, I, I, I take the time to offer that background because it would seem that uh, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you've really got more of an account uh, of their calling by Jesus to be apostles. That is, the, I will make you fishers of men. Uh, And what John describes here is their calling just as disciples. Those who are learners of Jesus who are going to follow his example and so on. And so they model for us in some way in this this, uh, first account of disciples of Jesus. There's something modeled for us as his disciples as well of what it means even to be disciples. Now, we could, in th- from this passage, there's a few different things you could emphasize. There are a few different sermons in, in all these verses here. You could look at just uh, the names of Jesus, like what Jesus is called in this passage. There's a whole sermon there about Jesus. You could look at just Jesus uh, and his uh, role and voice here in and interactions in the calling of these disciples. I want to look at the disciples themselves and just see what's modeled for us and, and what does it mean to be a disciple. And I, and I want to notice here that being a disciple involves, number one, following him, 
being a disciple of Jesus involves following him, uh, developing relationship with him, and helping others do the same. Okay, being a disciple of Jesus involves following him, developing a relationship with him, and helping others do the same. That is certainly uh, what we see in this account of those first disciples. And first, the fact that it means following him. If this, if this strikes you as basic, uh, it is. And yet we need to be reminded of some basic things. Just because it's basic doesn't mean we got it right. Okay, so if you need to wake yourself up a little bit, just pinch yourself on the ear or something, and pull your hair a little bit, whatever you do to stay awake while you're driving the car, be alert here. What does he have to say to you and me today? Well, like I said, first, that, that, that being a disciple of Jesus involves following him. Verse 37 says that when Andrew and this unnamed disciple, the other disciple of John the Baptist, when, when they heard John the Baptist say Jesus was the Lamb of God, it just says they followed him. And I, I think this is an interesting little footnote here because in my Bible, the heading of this passage says Jesus calls the first disciples. And yet actually, in this account, he doesn't even call them. Jesus, uh, John just says, behold the Lamb of God. And they go, oh, we're gonna follow him. He doesn't call them directly. John doesn't say, hey, there's a Lamb of God, go follow him. But it made perfect sense because he was the one to whom John the Baptist's whole ministry was pointed, right? He said that. Now, I'm not the Christ. He's among you. You don't know him. But he's among you and he is so far superior to me. You, you can't get your mind around it and you're not ready for him. That was a, a gross summary of uh, last week's sermon passage. But uh, this, this, John's whole ministry was about pointing to Jesus. And so two of his disciples said, well, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's follow him. And they did. And then, so, so they just follow him, it says, as they become disciples. And then in verse 43, when uh, Jesus left the wilderness and went to Galilee and uh, he, he called the, his call to Philip just boiled down to follow me. You see that? Verse 43, that was, that was just how that was at least summarized by John. He goes to Philip and says, follow me. And apparently there was some more interaction between Jesus and Philip because he goes to Nathanael and says that he found the one uh, about whom Moses had, and, the, and the prophets wrote. Right? He, he goes to Nathaniel and says, hey, the one that Moses and the prophet, uh, prophet spoke about, I found him. Well, he didn't get that from follow me. Right? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, there, there, was, there was apparently some other interaction, other conversation. Jesus didn't just say, follow me. And he goes, follow me? Oh, you must be the Messiah. Um, there, was, there was more um, interaction than that, but the essence of the call to him was follow me, follow me. And there are two aspects to that command. It's true in, uh, it was true in Greek or is true in Greek in the same way it's true in English. 
but it carries this sort of idea of, number one, imitating his way of life, and number two, obeying his commands. I say imitating his way of life because follow, if, if I were to say follow me, if I said, I found this beautiful little spot in the woods that's just so quiet and serene. I wanna show it to you, follow me. Well, that means in a physical way, you go where I'm going, right? I'll go first and you go after me. Walk where I walk, go where I'm going. But it also, we, we use the word in that way, uh, but we also might hear something like on uh, Johnny's report card, Johnny is a really sweet boy. He's still working on following instructions. I use the name Johnny to protect the innocent. But in other words, following in that, in that case is um, obeying in some way, right? Doing what I said. Following Jesus involves both imitating his way of life, going where he went, walking how he walked, living how he lived, and it also involves obeying what he said. Now, that sounds basic, doesn't it? And yet, we have convoluted that fact and in so many ways, um, so oversimplified uh, Christianity to be about just sort of intellectually giving assent to certain truths or whatever, I, I I believe certain things and, uh, and that's it. And then I wait for the end of my life for you know, Jesus to come and, and take me to heaven or whatever. And that's not, that's not what being a disciple is about. It is following Jesus, obeying him and imitating his way of life. So I, we could say I think this ought not to be controversial, uh, but a person who does not follow Christ is not a Christian. Now, we would we'd be just as quick to say, we'd be careful to say that your, your, your following and your, your, your actions, your uh, works in the flesh or whatever, those things don't save you but a person who really has saving faith in Christ follows Christ. That his life in some way reflects the life of Christ. His lifestyle has changed, his patterns of living has changed. His interactions and relationships with other people have changed. And he obeys Jesus in all kinds of ways. It's what he says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? Go make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey or to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what making disciples involves and that's what being disciples involves, following him, imitating his way of life and obeying him. And so um, here are a few um, diagnostic questions uh, for us in that way, in that uh, respect if I can find them now. A few diagnostic or a couple of diagnostic questions for us about how are we doing in that respect? 
how are we doing in just following Jesus? So question number one, if a non-Christian was going to try to write a description of Jesus based on their observations of you, what would they think Jesus was like? You follow the question? If they, if they, didn't, if they weren't exposed to anything about Christianity, they didn't know who Jesus was, but they know you are or claim to be a Christian and they observe your life and what makes you different from them or from other people around and they were gonna try to therefore describe Jesus in some way based on their observations of you, what would they think Jesus was like? Now, of course, that's a burden too great for you and I to bear, right? Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I just do not reflect Jesus entirely or completely, never have. There's never on my best day but, but I hope you understand uh, the, the point of the question. Because even though that's true, in some way, the life of the believer and certainly the life of the church is supposed to be distinct. And distinct in a good way, in a good way in that it reflects the life and the character of Jesus himself. So if, if somebody, we're gonna try to describe Jesus on, basis, on, on the basis of their observations of you, what would they think Jesus was like? And then a more just reflective question, in what ways do you need to be more obedient to Jesus? You, you, you probably already know, there's probably already something, if you're sort of laboring in your growth in the faith, there's probably already something you know that you're just before the Lord often, that's a matter of prayer. But in what ways do you just need to be more obedient to Jesus? You know, the, it's never a question. We don't just wait around for Jesus to make us feel like being more holy or being more obedient or whatever. We, we're called to strive after holiness to work at uh, walking in the faith, the following the example of Jesus. So in what ways do you need to be more Jesus? Listen, that's what it means to be a disciple, following him. That in some respect, we, we imitate his way of life and that we obey his commands and, instru and instructions. Secondly, developing, uh, being a disciple involves developing relationship with him and getting to know him. That's, that, that's certainly an element of what, what unfolds here in John chapter one in a way that we can't possibly um, imitate exactly because they are meeting Jesus in the flesh and dining with him in the flesh and so on. But that's, that's, what, that's like the very next step, right, that happens in verses 38 and 39 here of chapter one, Jesus asked them as they, as they followed him, Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they don't even answer the question. He says, what are you seeking? They say, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see, come and see. I was about four in the afternoon, it says, so they, uh, they stayed with him. And 
again, there's a lot we don't know about the background of all these interactions. There's more said than what's recorded necessarily, but, um, but it, it, would, it would appear that they just had some questions sort of they carried with them um, that required a little bit more time. That, that what are you seeking? Uh, they wanted to sit down with Jesus to have some longer discussion about that. In fact, we, we, we might, uh, again, just sort of as an aside, uh, it, it, would, it would be worth exploring or kind of making note of that Jesus does interact differently with each of these people. He, he does with this, this pair in that way, but his, his, uh, his brief engagements are all a little bit different. So what are, you, what, what are you seeking, he asked them. That's a good clarifying question. What is it you think you're after? That would be a good question for you and me as you come to Jesus. What are you seeking? Are you seeking a savior or a self-help guru? Because you're gonna find well, salvation in one case and disappointment <laughs> in the other because he didn't offer himself as a, as a self-help guru. But what are you seeking? He asks, he, he says to Peter, um, you know, you'll be, you'll be called uh, Cephas. He, he sort of sets, sets out this, uh, sets up this high, um, not so much expectation, but I guess that he sees something, calls out something in Peter that he's a rock. Anyway, you, you could go on and look at just the, 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 the individuality uh, and the uniqueness with which he addresses each one of those people. But they apparently had questions uh, that needed more of an extended discussion, but what's also true is that they're seeking a person. I'm, I'm, this is all sort of coming under the heading of, they're developing a relationship with Jesus. They're seeking a person, not just his ideas. They, they are following a person, not just his ideas, not just truth claims, although his truth claims are an important part of what it means to, to follow him, to believe them, to obey them, and so forth. But they're coming to know him I heard a quote from a, a pastor uh, down in Texas named Matt Chandler. He said, you cannot do life for Jesus unless you do life with Jesus. You can't do life for Jesus unless you do life with Jesus. If you think, if you presume to be out there sort of on the, on the front lines of the culture somehow, uh, representing Jesus, and yet you don't really know him, <laughs> you don't really have a relationship with him, you don't do life with him and presume yet to do life for him somehow? Just hold your tongue, we'd be better off not presuming to speak for him if we haven't been with him. Because none of us will go sit down uh, at dinner with Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh and have conversation with him in this way, but we do have personal uh, contact with the triune God through the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said, it is, it's good for me to go away. 
Because when I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll be with you in all places at all times. He manifests the presence of God in the world and especially in the church. And through him, we have relationship with the living God. That's one of the things you don't find in any, in any world religion, to my knowledge. But that's what God offers to us. And so the, the, the diagnostic question there for us would be, do you talk with God on any regular basis and just include him in part of your life? Do you just have conversation with God in a regular, you know, planned and scheduled prayer time, but also just as you walk by the way? Is he, does he walk with you? Do you invite him to be part of what it is that you're doing? Is he included in your life? Being a disciple of Jesus involves developing a relationship with him. And then third, uh, being a disciple of Jesus involves helping others become disciples of Jesus. It just does. <laughs> disciples make disciples. And uh, I, I love the fact that, again, on John's telling of this, the calling of these first disciples, there are really two different little snapshots here, right, of, of, of Andrew and this unnamed disciple, and then of Philip. And then what follows from those encounters is in the, in the first section there, Andrew went and found Peter. And it uses that language, right? Andrew went and found his own brother, Peter. And Philip went and found Nathaniel. And you can look, you, if you're holding a Bible, you look at it and see, it's just a very natural response. There's no cue to do that. It, they just do. Andrew says, hey, found the one we've been waiting for. Because if you've been waiting for him, why wouldn't you go tell him? I mean, you did that back in middle school when you and your friend we're talking about that girl, how pretty she was and how much you wanted to talk to her or whatever. And then you had a conversation with her at the, your locker or you know, in the lunchroom or whatever. And you couldn't wait to get back and tell your friend, I talked to her. Well, this is what Andrew does. He get, I found the one we've been looking for. And Philip does the same thing. He goes and finds Nathaniel. But for each one of them, there was one person that they were just instinctively compelled to go and tell. Somebody close to them, somebody they already knew, but it just made sense. This thing we've been looking for, longing for, this person we've been looking for, longing for. I found him, he found me. And, of course, Nathaniel is a little suspicious. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, come and see. You got to love that response, don't you? Like, we don't have to have all the answers 
to all the difficult questions that anybody might conceivably ask about Jesus, about the Bible, about the gospel, about all the sort of ideas and philosophy and stuff. We don't have to know all of that. Come and see. Come and see. But disciples make disciples. Part of being a disciple of Jesus, it's following him, it's developing relationship with him, but it's also helping others do the same. And so again, I've got really a few diagnostic questions in that regard. I mean, some that go uh, extend a little bit beyond um, just the immediate um, exchanges we see here in the text. But if a new Christian came to you and said, I want to obey uh, Jesus, I, I want to. I want to obey him. I want to just know what it what it means to follow him. I want to know how to do that, but I, I don't even know. I don't know how, and I don't know where to start. Can you help me? I know you're a Christian. You've been you've been in church a long time. Can you help me? Would you be able to help them? Would you be able to help somebody know what it looks like to follow Jesus? To conform their life, to begin to conform their life to his life, to obey him, and so on. So could you help somebody read the Bible and understand it? You know, as well as I do, that's a lifelong endeavor. You're always understanding new things, coming to see things you hadn't seen before, and so forth. But can you help somebody begin that sort of journey? Could you help them apply the Bible? So not only read it and understand what it's saying and what it means, but apply that to their personal life. Or could you help, could you listen to them as they just share what their struggles are in life and challenges that they meet? And could you help them find scriptures that speak to those challenges? Well, I know the answer Uh, to many is, I'm not sure about that. I mean, many sitting here hearing me answer that question, that's a little bit of an intimidating concept to you, to sit down and help somebody read and understand the Bible, apply it to their lives, and even search out the scriptures to find uh, passages or verses that speak to particular challenges. And that's the reason I asked the questions. (laughs) It's because I knew it's a little bit of an uncomfortable question, or those are a little bit uncomfortable questions for some people. But as disciples, we ought to be becoming equipped to do exactly that. You tracking with me on that? So if you're not there, okay, if you're not there, uh, you need to strive to get there. The question is, can you help somebody read and understand the Bible uh, in their early growth as a Christian? And your answer is no then you as a disciple who are following Jesus, who are obeying him more and more, then one of your quests needs to be becoming equipped to say yes to that question. Okay? So if you're not there, you probably aren't going to be there tomorrow. But tomorrow you can get on your way there. 
it's okay if the answer is no. It's just not okay if the answer keeps being no. Because disciples make disciples. And part of growing as a disciple is becoming equipped to make disciples. That is the missing piece. That is the missing piece in modern evangelicalism uh, for the most part, or at least as we have lived it. That's the weak muscle that's not been exercised in the life of the evangelical church in America. Uh, because we, we've sort of invited people into this sort of industrial complex of the evangelical church and sort of let the machine do its work so we don't have to. That's a little bit of an unfair way of saying it because it's not like we even consciously uh, thought that necessarily. It's just kind of how we set things up to work. But, but we've been able to sort of hand people off to the machine of the, of the church programs and we've not had to be engaged in the disciple making piece of being a disciple but a disciple of Jesus part of being a disciple of Jesus is helping others become disciples of Jesus and so that's a those are really really helpful valuable diagnostic questions right there because if I, if I don't feel like I'm equipped to help somebody begin their journey, then my next step in my own personal growth is becoming equipped to be able to help somebody in their personal journey. And that may be the next step for many in this room. The, the, the final question I'll ask that we can walk away, all of us can walk away with is like Andrew and like Philip, who just had one person that they immediately thought to go to. Who is, the, who is one person in your life uh, who you could begin praying for to be brought into the family of God? I saw on this Right Now Media subscription uh, the, uh, library that I've mentioned numerous times, I saw a little video clip with um, Pastor Johnny Hunt, many of you know from here in Wilmington, he did this little interview and, and uh, was saying, um, you know, as you're saying, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, but sometimes we can't see, see, the, see a tree because of the whole forest. <laughs> There's so many people that we, that we don't notice the person, right? There's so many people who are in need and in need of Jesus that we, we, we have a hard time seeing the person, a person who's in need of it. And so the question is, who's one person? Who's one person? A friend, a neighbor, uh, a family member, a coworker, one person that you, maybe you even begin to pray about, Lord, help me get focused on the one. You know more than one person, who, who is it um, that you want me to have my heart and my eyes focused on that you can begin praying already in advance for them to be brought into the family of God? And then later, we're just getting started in John. Later, we'll find out some of what our next steps will be beyond praying for that person, um, how we can be used by God as the potentially the means by which he brings them in 
of the family of God. But most people who have come to faith in Christ did so because a friend, relative, work associate, uh, work associate or neighbor invited them into the community of faith in some way. They invited them to church, they invited them to small group, they invited them just into their own personal life as a believer that introduced them uh, to the community of faith, but it was through overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly by some personal connection. Even those people who came to faith at a Billy Graham crusade or a Franklin Graham crusade or some other thing like that by somebody you didn't know personally, most of them were invited to that event by somebody personally. A personal connection. So who is the one that God would begin to help us focus in on that we can pray for? Begin praying they'll be brought into the family of God and begin praying that he'll prepare us to be used in part or in whole as the means by which they would come to know Jesus. And so we'll put dot, dot, dot to be continued there because we'll have more to do in response to that later than just, uh, than just focus on that person and pray, but that's where we can begin. And so we'll, we'll leave here today with, with just questions about how do I need to conform my life more to the life of Christ? How, do, how does my walk need to look more like his? How do I need to imitate him? How do I need to obey him? How do I need to uh, engage personally with him? And how do I need to bring others or become equipped to bring others along with me? Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord, you're good and your mercy endures forever. Your mercies are new every morning. And we could stand and tell stories of how gracious you've been to us, how, how we, like Philip, were wandering about in, in our own little Galilee, really without hope when we were without Christ. But Jesus came and found us and said, follow me. So we thank you for the testimony you've given us of just your great grace toward us. And I suspect that there are some here today who don't have that story. That story hasn't yet begun, that they haven't heard that call to follow you. So God, I pray that by your spirit that you would awaken one who is just dead in trespasses and sins. Would you just give life where there isn't spiritual life, that they would understand what they've never understood even though it's been said in their hearing before, that they would see what they haven't seen and that they would smell something of the sweet, fragrant aroma of your goodness. Lord, would you lead 
those who are yours to repentance, to faith in Jesus, and to a whole new way of life as they begin even today to have relationship with you, to follow you, and to be transformed by you. So have your way in this time, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.